Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I hope that as we look at some of these things that you'll go home and um, read more fully the context because we're just kind of doing a survey and analysis and hitting some things that we think is relevant and important. Uh, for our journey here through 2023. And so I'm only going to read a small portion of um, this chapter, even though we're going to talk about uh, the whole chapter. As a matter of fact, we'll be talking about chapter 10 as well. But anyway, um, I'm only going to read where we left off last week. As we have been considering faith in action, building God's kingdom in challenging times, and we have been looking at this topic of faithfulness, and specifically faithfulness as it relates uh, to the apostles during this day and age with Paul, as he was dealing with, as he referred to them as the super apostles, they were the false apostles. Um. And so as he's dealing uh, with them, he also has to deal with uh, this same situation in the church at Galatia uh, with those who are trying to lead them astray. And notice in verse number 12, but what I do. So Paul is making it evident here because they, there was a lot of complaints about Paul. The world, sometimes we really should pay attention to the world, not in following them, but so that we can hear. Do you know that when you start dealing with skeptics and atheists and all the anti-Christ worldviews, have you ever heard their hatred of Paul? And the reason is because Paul was very intense. And so when he says, but what I do, he's talking about certain actions of himself. And there was a lot of complaints in the first century about Paul's words and actions. And a lot of times we miss what's going on in some of his epistles because, you know, we're trying to, um, we're trying to interpret it in a context of what we think Christianity is based upon all the fluffy stuff that we've had over the last few decades. And let me say, Paul was very intense, just like Jesus was intense. Very straightforward. Now, there was a lot of compassion and love. I mean, we see the compassion of Jesus Christ all throughout the Gospels. But have you ever noticed that the anger of Jesus was really intense, right? 
I mean, he said some really hard things. I mean, some very, as we would think, very unkind. Well, Paul was the same way. And so he says, but what I do, I will also continue to do. And then he gives the reason. That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. So there were certain people who were claiming to be apostles, certain people who were claiming to be ministers in the church. And Paul says, I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing so that I can cut them off from having any opportunity to regard themselves as us. He's talking about those who were claiming to be apostles and they were not. And then he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. One of the things, a big theme to God's people, all throughout the Old Testament and coming all throughout the New Testament, are warnings concerning false teachers. We are warned over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, one of the qualifications to be a bishop To be an elder is to confront the false teachers, to do battle with them, and not allow them to subvert the people of God, to subvert the church. We are continuing our survey here, our analysis of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, in order to give us some bearing in our attempt to put things in order that are lacking to get our house in order, and to begin rebuilding God's kingdom in challenging times by putting our faith into action. And that's what Paul was doing. (laughs) Um, Even though he mentions the things that he's doing, he's going to continue to do because he was receiving a lot of complaints about them. He was putting his faith into action. And that's what we need to do as well. So we are currently focused on faithfulness, and specifically at this stage here now, we're focused on the faithfulness of ministers. And the reason why you have to have faithful ministers is so that you can have faithful people. You have the leaders who are faithful, and the followers, if they follow faithful leaders, will be faithful. But if you don't have faithful leaders, the people will not be faithful, because they're following unfaithful leaders. It's pretty easy. That's even math that a hick from Brown County can do. And so you have to have faithful leaders, faithful ministers in the church. And that's why Paul says it is required of stewards to be faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, remember, 
Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. This is the litmus test, right? The litmus test to know who are true ministers of Jesus Christ is faithfulness. The litmus test to know who are not ministers of Jesus Christ is faithfulness. And therefore, based upon this criteria, Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 4.16, so remember in verse number 1, it's about being faithful, that ministers, that these apostles and these elders and the uh, ministers in the church of God, that they are to be faithful. It's a requirement. And then he tells them in verse 16, wherefore or therefore... Because of all the things that he listed, one of them being the faithfulness of the ministers of God. He says, therefore, I beseech you or I urge you, I implore you, be followers of me, not of them. Paul was very bold in his statements. And the reason why he was being bold is because the false teachers are always bold. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how bold they are? I mean, it doesn't matter if if it has to do with proclamation. They can boldly deny the word of God. Boldly encourage licentiousness, boldly water down the gospel. But they're also very bold in getting you to do for them. You ever notice that? Because it's all about them. That's why. But here, Paul is confronting the false apostles and their boldness by being bold in response to them. And his boldness is then to tell the people of God, it's required that stewards be faithful. These guys are unfaithful. They're unfaithful with the word. They're unfaithful with the governance. They are unfaithful with the practice of the church. Therefore, I urge you, be followers of me, not of them. That's what he's saying, right? Everyone understands that's the context. Because the argument is about who the true apostles are, who the true ministers of God are. And when he tells them to follow himself, he's telling them not to follow them. Now, to us, we might think, that's pretty arrogant. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. You see, there's some criteria in context. Don't follow them because they're not following Christ. Follow me because I'm following Christ. So this morning, I want us to understand the gravity I want us to understand the importance of what Paul is saying here as he urges them to follow Christ by being followers of himself. 
If you want to follow Christ, then follow those who are following Christ, right? That, by the way, is helpful when it comes to church history. Um, Follow those who are following Christ, and then you'll be following Christ. So it's very important to note that this statement here is based on a desire and a goal for the Corinthians to follow Christ faithfully. That's why he's being bold. What's his desire? His desire is is that they would be saved, right? His desire is, is that they would follow Christ. And that's the reason for his boldness. And this is a key area of understanding and also it's very important to be able to identify true ministers of Christ and those who are following Christ. You see, those who follow Christ, every person on this earth is going to serve somebody, as Bob Dylan reminded us over 40 years ago, that you got to serve somebody. We mentioned that last week. You got to serve somebody. You got to follow somebody, right? And so on one hand, Paul's statements, and therefore my statements this morning, may sound and seem arrogant, even though the fact of the matter is not only do you have to follow somebody, but you will follow somebody. No man is an island to himself. You don't come into this world and exist in a void or a vacuum, (laughs) a void space. And then just be able to chart your own course. You follow somebody. There are ways in which you are following somebody that you don't even recognize it because you were brought up in that environment. And you follow the ways of people, and you don't even realize it. You do it because someone before you did it. So the big question, then, is not whether people are followers. (laughs) Oh, my word. We think so much of ourselves. Everybody is a follower. The question is not whether or not you're a follower. The question is, who are you actually following? And ultimately, the question is, are you following Christ or are you following Satan? Well, that's easy to figure out because are you following people who are following Christ or are you following people who are following Satan? Birds of a feather flock together. And so we can understand... And we can discern who we are following. Although some or many may find Paul's statements to be boastful and arrogant, as we saw last week, those who are boastful are those who are attempting to get you to follow that which is not after Christ. Because they're boasting against Christ. That is arrogant and pride. That is Luciferian. To boast against God. 
So just like in Jesus' day, the Pharisees strained at gnats and they swallowed camels, and so do we today. We'll follow scam artists like Joe Osteen, Creflo Dollar, or Greg Locke. But resist the faithful ministers who are trying to get us to follow Christ. Because that is the thing, right? As Christians, to follow Christ at all costs. It's not to put me in a shark skin suit and get me a private jet and for me to have three mansions scattered across the United States. To be on the front of Time magazine. That's not the goal. The goal is to get you to follow Christ at all costs. Some suppose that we follow Christ to get our best life now, to become rich or to gain fame. But we don't want to follow the guy who is saying, follow Christ through suffering, affliction, trials, tribulations, and temptations. Because that is where you are going to find Christ, and that is where you're going to find salvation, is through those things. We don't want that guy. It's like, oh my goodness, that sounds terrible. No, it's not. It's the salvation of your soul. That's not terrible. We don't want to follow the guy who is faithful in afflictions, poverty, and loss. Like, man, that's not going to gain a crowd. We don't want to follow the guy who tells us to repent. We want the guy who will scratch us where we itch. We want the guy who will prophesy good things to us, smooth things to us and for us. But that is not the depiction of faithful ministers, the true representatives of Christ. What did Paul tell Timothy as he was instructing Timothy on the proper way to exercise his ministry? As a minister of Jesus Christ, Paul says to Timothy, the young pastor, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So that's where you start off, is remembering that God is going to judge every single one of us. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill, fulfill your ministry." You see, the first part of godly ministry is to follow Christ in remembering that we are all going to give an account to God. And therefore, speak faithfully the words of Christ. The second part of godly ministry is to get people to follow you as you follow Christ and faithfully speak the words of Christ. And this is not only a battle, it is the battle. A lot of times we get confused on where the battle is as ministers, and there's lots of battles in this world, don't get me wrong. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, remember this passage of scripture? 
Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. There are several things in that, and it is all encompassing that, yes, The goal is to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ throughout the whole world. All right? That's a statement of ultimate accomplishment. But when he's talking about the weapons of their warfare and the war that's going on there, he's talking about the false leaders. I know we want to take that verse and apply it to every political issue under the sun and yes there is application but it's not what it's about it's about the false teachers and so the false ministers walk according to the flesh those who look at things according to the outward appearance the false ministers who commend themselves based upon appearance Have you ever heard them say, it must be of God because look at all the things that we have. We have buildings and jets, all kinds of different institutions. Look at us, how wealthy we are. Look at us, how well-dressed we are. Look at us, how beautiful we are. We have had everything that can be done to enhance our appearance. Look at us. And we look at it and we're like, wow, that must be of God. And that's what's going on here in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians with Paul dealing with these false apostles. You see, if it appeals to the five senses, then we think it must be of God. But Paul distinguishes the unfaithful ministers and the faithful ministers based upon a distinction between the flesh, which is outward appearance, and the spirit, which is that which is of God, the work of God. The flesh, which is earthy, the spirit is from God, which is supernatural. It is not something that is naturally possessed, but that which is supernaturally given and therefore received. The false ministers boast in their gifts, boast in their abilities, boast in their usefulness. Whereas the spirit and that which is spiritual boasts in Christ and nothing else. The fleshly ministers boast in their strength. And the spiritual ministers boast in their weakness. In chapter 10, Paul reproves the Corinthians for making judgment of faithful ministers and things based on outward appearance. They judged Paul by the low state of his person, the weakness of his body, the lowness of his voice, his outward circumstances of life, his poverty, afflictions, and persecutions, and they despised him for it. Well, just... 
you know, this is where we got to be careful. This is what they were doing. Look at the fruit. Well, apparently they didn't understand what true fruit was. But then they'd look over at the super apostles. Look at the fruit. Wow. Isn't that something? Look at their abilities. Look at their charisma. Look at their wealth. They're free from persecution. Look at their prosperity. See, they looked upon the riches and the eloquence and the haughty mannerisms and the flashiness and the personable demeanor of the false ministers in admiration. And this was the spiritual war that Paul's talking about in chapter 10. This this is the conversation about spiritual weapons to pull down and cast down and to cut off. You see, this is one of the qualifications of a bishop. Look in Titus chapter 1, verse number 7. He says, for a bishop. And then he starts going through all these qualifications, right? And then notice what he says in verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Contradict what? The sound doctrine. And then it says this, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, This is one of them Facebook, um, what, what do they do when they cover over the thing on Facebook? When something that goes against their community standards. Yeah, they censor it, but have you ever seen it? And the, It'll be blurred out, and then you'll have to click another button if you want to actually see it. Okay? So we got, we got to do that here this morning, because when he says, especially those of the circumcision, he's saying the Jews. Okay? That's what that means. Especially those of the circumcision. Paul was a Jew himself, right? Especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And one of the qualifications of a bishop is to exhort, reprove, and rebuke those false teachers. You see, this is a big topic here. This warfare, this is a big deal. This is where the battle is at. So there's this battle, this warfare of the faithful ministers against the false ministers. The ministers of Satan and the ministers of Christ should be engaged in all-out war. And so... It is a war for authority. Are you going to win a war if you're actually in a war? You know, there's a difference between compassion upon those who are broken and those who are captive and those who are lost and those who are being overcome. You see, that is 
one response, which is to be delivering and compassion and salvation. But when you're in an all-out war, are you going to defeat them with niceness? So Paul is in this all-out war for authority, and that's the reason why he's getting so many complaints. Paul, you're being mean. Paul, you're being arrogant. No. What he is doing is trying to save their souls. Protect them from deception. Keep them from being led astray, right? So he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 8, For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority... So yeah, he was coming on pretty strong. They have no authority. I defy their authority. The authority resides with us, not them. He says, for even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification. Edification for who? The saints of God, right? So he's doing this. For their edification, he's doing it to cut them off. So he's trying to cut the false teachers off and edify the people of God. He says, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. So with these things in mind and with time already gone, let's try to... Consider some things here from First or Second Corinthians chapter eleven, and obviously we're probably going to have to pick it back up again next week. But we can at least introduce the first thing that we need to consider. And the first thing we need to consider is that there is a godly kind of jealousy. We read it this morning, right? For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Yeah, you see, for experiencing a little bit of God's jealousy, are we not? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, if you shall worship, for you shall worship no other God. So just think about this. So if you belong to him and you start worshiping another god, then God's just going to be like, oh, well, you know, it's okay. No, the, the Lord our God is not the typical American male. No, he's a, he's a jealous God. What's his is his, and he will protect it. He will defend it. He will restore it. He will get it back. It's his. Doesn't belong to any of the other gods. Those who have been redeemed, those who are 
in the covenant of grace. They don't belong to all these other gods, and God's not going to take it sitting down. He's not going to take it lightly when they are in possession of what belongs to him. He is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4.24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. See, we think of that word as being something bad, right? Well, it can be. It can be used rightly or wrongly. We read about the Israelites in Psalm 78 and all their, <laughs> all their going astray. And it says this, it says, For they provoked God to anger with their high places, their, their pagan worship, and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. You know, all throughout the Old Testament prophets, you know how it is described to the people of God from the Lord in relation to God's people going astray? Adultery. Right? The analogy of God's people turning from the Lord and turning unto idols or other forms of worship, be it worshiping ourselves or worshiping other people or worshiping other things or whatever it may be. It, the analogy is that that's committing adultery against the Lord because you belong to the Lord. And then here we are out whoring around, right? It's the analogy. All throughout the Old Testament. Matter of fact, when we come to the New Testament, listen to this. Considering idolatry and the Lord's jealousy. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 18, Paul says, Observe or consider Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or, that it, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? That's the question Paul asked to New Testament Christians. Why? Because God is a jealous God. And so listen to what James says. You adulterous people. He's talking to... Who did he write? Who's the epistles written to? The church, right? Christians. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Yes, he is a jealous God. Therefore, Paul writes to the Corinthians... For I am jealous over you, in verse number ten, uh, two of our text. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. 
For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. As a representative of Christ, therefore Paul also had to be jealous. Because he's representing God to the people of God. And so he says, I am jealous over you. The analogy that's being made is that, listen, you're married to one. That's Christ. Stop whoring around with these false apostles. So just as Jesus is jealous for his bride, Paul, the minister of Christ, who is a servant and a steward entrusted to protect and provide for the bride, which is the church in Christ's absence, he too is jealous over the church. And this is divine or godly jealousy, not for their destruction, but for their edification or for their good. He is jealous over them for good and not evil. You see, there's a good jealousy and a bad jealousy. There's not a question of jealousy in relation to faithful ministers that faithful ministers will be jealous over the people of God. So we also find the false ministers. In that same situation for evil, but the question is just like, it's not whether we will follow men, but which men will we follow? It's not a question of whether there should be jealousy, but it's a question of whether it's godly jealousy. Or is it satanic jealousy? Is it jealousy for good or jealousy for evil? And why is he jealous over them? Because he is engaged in warfare against Satan, against the idols. He's in warfare against the demons. He is in warfare against those apostles of Satan. He's engaged in warfare. And notice in verse number three, he says, and I have a fear. The reason why he's jealous over them with this godly jealousy is that he fears that just as the serpent deceived Eve with his craftiness. Eve was so easily deceived, right? Paul's saying, I'm so fearful that you will be so easily deceived because you are, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, no pun intended. You are of Adam and Eve. He says, I fear that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so that so too will your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He is afraid that they will be deceived by these charlatans, these scam artists who look good on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones on the inside. And so he says, oh, that you would bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. And then notice what he says in verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, 
or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Next week, we'll try to bring out some of the sarcasm that is being stated here in these comments by Paul. But we'll look at this boasting that Paul says that he engages in, which is a result of a godly jealousy, but we'll also see that it's a result of true love. Father, we pray here this morning that as we consider a little more each and every week, that you would help us to understand that this is all-out warfare on that which belongs to the one true and the living God and that which belongs to Satan. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness and courage to be engaged in this warfare and, therefore, to be faithful because that is what is required of us And Lord, we have been very unfaithful. We have just let Satan and his apostles have a heyday. Given up, we've given up everything without a fight. And Lord, we're like the unprofitable servant who took talents that the Lord distributed to his servants and we just went and buried ours. Lord, we pray that you would help us to use that which you have given us for the furtherance of your kingdom and to be engaged in the battle that is presently going on, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And Lord, may we contend for the faith And be faithful in doing so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.